everybody, Tim and Mike and our Palestinian friend Jesus here on the Vox Podcast. <laughs> Glad you're tuning in. Um, and Tim, Tim, if you don't know, is an English prof. And if you've ever seen how he looks, he looks like an English prof. You have to. And um, true or false, you have a sport coat with elbow patches. True. Tweed? Tweed. The jacket is tweed with little leather patches on the elbows. My goodness. And I'm just saying, like, if I were in college and I had Tim Stafford for my English prof, I would say this. When God thought of English profs... This was the template (laughs) he used right here, Timothy (laughs) Stafford. And the reason I bring that up is because um, today is the, at least for me, the unveiling of Tim's new Zoom moniker, which, um, you know, instead of, instead of Tim Stafford, which I'm very used to today, it was Frankenstein Beck, Frankenstein Beck, Frankenstein Beck. (laughs) Frankenstein back. Yep. And I just thought there, there it is, ladies and gentlemen. Um, or Shakespeare would say prose before bros. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. There it is. All right. So we, we, uh, anyway, we're, we're delighted to be with you. Take that to the bank. Yep. And, uh, and so we've got, we've got a couple questions that came in about why we refer to Jesus as our Palestinian friend. Tim, you want to cue those up for us? Yeah. First one. Hello, Mike and Tim. Hello. Hello. I'm curious as to why you are calling Jesus your Palestinian friend in regard to Palestinian and not Jewish. I'm sure you have a reason for it. If you could comment, I would appreciate it. Nice. Okay. And then there was a, a second one, right? Yes. Um, skipping over some pleasantries. Yeah, we like uh, the pleasantries. We but... don't need to hear that. I mean, we do, but you all don't. <laughs> uh, here we go. I enjoy hearing about our Palestinian friend Jesus, and I'm curious as to why you choose to use the label Palestinian. I have received pushback when I speak of Jesus or the people of the land while using this label for them. Curious and curiouser. Again, <laughs> thank you. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, first of all, one of the reasons we used it was exactly to get the questions and the kind of pushback uh, that we're getting. For me, um, when I use the word Palestinian, I don't mean uh, to call to mind the current political state of the Middle East between the Palestinians and the Israelis. When I use the word Palestinian, I mean, of the area of Palestine, which was one of the ways it was referred to um, in the first century. And not only that, but Jewish, um, at least in my imagination, can often uh, can often just mean white again. And Palestinian means um, Middle Eastern. And so to capture the true ethnicity of Jesus, I find Palestinian or Middle Eastern to be a more uh, helpful and imaginative term than uh, just Jewish, our Jewish friend Jesus. Because I I think in my, and maybe this is true just for me, but in my imagination, Jewish even slants towards white. 
Um, but Palestinian, that's what I'm thinking of, like the things I've, I've seen on TV um, uh, of people with brown skin and dark hair and, um, and people who are clearly not USA Americans with uh, blue eyes and blonde hair. And so that's, that's the reason. Does that make sense? So it, it's more, it's more uh, trying to capture and force an imaginative uh, picture of Jesus that um, is very much at odds with kind of our current Caucasian, Swedish, you know. Yeah. In with the disco Jesus. Eastern, out with Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yes. Yes. Although, man, I, you know, if Jesus turned out to be like Obi-Wan Kenobi, I think we'd all see that as good news. <laughs> um, so, so there you go. So anyway, great question. Thank you. We've got a, a question at the end too, don't we? Uh, on a different topic, right? At the end, you don't have to worry about it right now, but I thought there was another one we so, that somebody sent in. Yes. Today we have the shortest, um, text, uh, or piece of the Sermon on the Mount Certainly the most boring piece of the Sermon on the Mount, but by far the most important part of the Sermon on the Mount. And so uh, before we get into anger and lust and divorce and integrity of speech and loving enemies and praying and money and worry, uh, Jesus actually is going to tell us how all of these things should be understood, in what context these are given. And if you don't understand the context um, in which they're given, we'll turn these just into new laws, and which obviously m many of us have done. Um, uh, J Jesus doing something far more radical. So uh, today's reader uh, is uh, someone very near and dear to my heart. Uh, my sweet daughter, Hannah, will be reading the text for us today. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So yes, Matthew chapter five. Now, um, this is this text. Before we get to its political implications, 
um, like I said uh, previously, is super important. So we're going to have to spend a little, we're going to get a little teachy, Tim, today, uh, because we got some, we got some stuff. So I'm going to just walk through this, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes, kind of word by word or phrase by phrase. And, uh, and then hopefully that will begin to make some sense. So Jesus starts by saying, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or prophets, which means some are thinking what? That is going to come to abolish the law or prophet. Correct. And so, so Jesus, well done, Timothy. So Jesus is either addressing concerns he knows will come, or he's right. addressing concerns that have already started to bubble up. And we see some of these in the, in the gospels, right? Controversy over Sabbath keeping, purity washings, uh, his, uh, his dietary, uh, keeping some of the dietary requirements. Um, we should link this back through again to just in case someone's popping into this episode and missed the last two or three that he's still speaking to the same group of people. Yes. That we discussed the last two weeks. Yes, exactly. Exactly right. So there were some, we are, we read from Judea, uh, probably some teachers and scribes. And so Jesus is anticipating or or dealing with criticism. Um, He's, I've not come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, the law, uh, we think of law, we think of commandments. When Jesus thinks of law, he thinks of Torah. And Torah was not a negative word for Jesus. Torah was life. Torah was light. Torah was God's will uh, for Israel to be a kingly nation uh, and a priestly nation. Um, Torah was a very positive thing. And when Jesus talks about the Torah and the prophets, he's meaning the vast majority of what we call the Old Testament. The only other category are the writings. Uh, Jesus doesn't mention here. Do not come, uh, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. Now, the word abolish uh, and the word fulfill are key to understanding the rest of the sermon. All right. This, this is the interpretive key about what Jesus is going to be doing over the next chapter, at least. He says, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but fulfill them. Now, abolish by itself usually is one connotation, but when it's used in conjunction with fulfill, it becomes a set of rabbinic terms that were common back in the day. Um, to, um, and in fact, when you jump to verse 19, it says, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teachers, uh, teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus there is actually telling you what fulfill and abolish means. So to fulfill Uh, Torah and the prophets in this case means to interpret it rightly and to put it into practice to abolish. It means to interpret it wrongly and to not practice it or to not practice it correctly. And so the idea, this really, so it has two pieces, the interpretive part, understanding what the will of God is, and then actually doing it. So you can nullify Torah or abolish Torah or cancel Torah by misunderstanding it or not practicing it properly. Uh, And you fulfill Torah when you understand it and practice it properly. Makes sense? Pretty easy. That's what Jesus is getting at in 19 when he says, anyone who sets aside one of these commands or teaches others accordingly. 
Those are the two meanings of abolish. If you misunderstand it and then fail to put into practice and then mm-hmm. fulfill, he says, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom. Okay. So it's super important to understand that what Jesus, and the reason we find this so boring is Jesus here is dealing with his, the Judaism of his day. He is directly engaged with some of the debates with the scribes and the Pharisees, the great Pharisaic schools of, of Shammai and Hillel, um, but also some of the concerns that were probably being raised by Jesus's orthopraxy as he was, you know, gallivanting around the Galilee. Orthopraxy, that's a five cent word. Yep. Um, right practice as opposed to orthodoxy, right doctrine. And and for for you know to fulfill Torah. Jesus says, I've come to interpret it correctly and to show right. you what it looks like in practice. Because so, abolished to us has always just kind of been like negate, get rid of. Yes. Like yes. And 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 just to be clear <laughs> that abolish that that uh, that connotation of abolish is not even remotely on Jesus's radar. He then says, For I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the Torah until all is accomplished. Now, the least stroke of a pen, the smallest letter, we're talking about writing in Hebrew. These are tiny, like minute flourishes yeah. on the end of a Hebrew letter or word that change its meaning. And, and this is a problem for people who hate the Old Testament. Because uh, what Jesus is saying about the law and the prophets is that they were intended to accomplish something and they're not going away until that accomplishment happens. Now, the debate, of course, is until everything is accomplished. Well, what the heck does that mean? Stay tuned, my brothers and sisters. All right. Jesus actually um, accuses the the Pharisees of abolishing the law in Mark, when he says, you have a fine way of um, disregarding the commands of God to honor the traditions of men. When the Pharisees and the scribes had this teaching where if you didn't want to support your parents, you could say that part of your income or some piece of property was devoted to God and therefore unavailable to help your parents out. So, (laughs) so, I mean, this is like, this is the heart of the Jewish Jesus right here. So it's kind of like when a pastor really wants that big, private jet (laughs) and he's like listen guys oh we'll get there we'll get there baby so jesus then gets into therefore anyone who sets aside the least of these commands um, and teaches others accordingly we called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, what in the world is Jesus talking about here? Jesus is referring to rabbinic debates around two groups of commands, the light commands and the heavy commands. Okay, just like the words connotate, light commands were those of the 613 that were the least important. Now, they were important because they were God's commands. But if if there was ever a conflict, you always went with the heavy command. And then they would argue about which were the greatest of the heaviest commands, right? Because sometimes if, you know, you were ordered not to work in the Sabbath, but then um, uh, your child was in danger, your animal had fallen into a pit, whatever, you would have to rank the commands. And they also did this as a theological exercise. Um, and, and so what Jesus is talking about are the light commands 
um, are the are the commands that aren't of, uh, of great significance, and the heavy commands are the ones of of deep importance and significance. Okay, so what he's saying, um, which is wordplay that you miss in English. Therefore, anyone who sets aside the light commands will be called light in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who, who teaches and practices the heavy commands will be called heavy in the kingdom of heaven. All right. So there's a bit of wordplay going on. So what Jesus has said is, listen, the Torah is given for a purpose. And it's not going to disappear until that purpose is accomplished. Jesus is not coming to cancel it or nullify it, but rather to properly interpret the heart of it and to be Torah in person. Well, here's what the Torah looks like. If the Torah, we're walking around. All right. So huge claims Jesus is making. Um, and then he says, he steps into this light and heavy thing. And this becomes really, really important. He says, those who teach, um, who fail to teach the light commands and to observe the light commands will be called light in the kingdom. And those that, that teach obedience to all of the commands, even the light ones and the heavy ones will be called heavy in the kingdom. All right now, just a little bit about this. The lightest <laughs> of the 613 commands, all right? That's what I was going to ask you. What's, what's the, the lightest? lightest of the light is in Deuteronomy, all right? Here's the command. This was what the rabbi said, the lightest of the light. If you come across a bird's nest beside the road, either in a tree or on the ground, and the mother is sitting on the young or on the eggs, do not take the mother with the young. You may take the young, but be sure to let the mother go so that it might go well with you and you may have a long life. All right. All right. That is yep. so <laughs> weird. But that the bird's nest command was called was the lightest of the light. Now, what the rabbis found interesting is that one of the heaviest commands was this one. Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long and that it may go well with you. And so the thing they observed, some, some streams of rabbinical thought, was that, isn't it interesting? One of the 10 heaviest commands and the lightest of the light command all have the same promise and warning. Obey this command so it will be, go well with you. So there were, there were schools of thought back in the day that taught that all of the commands um, are heavy. And by breaking light commands, you make yourself more apt to break heavy commands. Okay. So Jesus, I know, I know, I know, I know. This is going to make sense, though. So just stay. I know it's a grind. I'm tracking with you. This is the, this is the thickest stuff. All right. Then Jesus. All right. <laughs> oh, then he says, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. All right. Now, my friend. This, oh, good Lord, this. Okay, this is the most important sentence of the sermon. Jesus is engaging with the perception that he is abolishing Torah. And he said, nope, I've come to fulfill it. In fact, I fulfill it so much that heaven and earth will not disappear until everything's accomplished. And I, I fulfill it to the point where if you neglect these commands, 
and even the light ones and teach others to do the same, you'll be light in my kingdom. But if you, te- if you practice these commands and teach them properly, you'll be heavy in my kingdom because, for I tell you, your righteousness has to be greater than that of the scribes and Pharisees. Now, we got to sit on this for a second. And again, this is, this is thick stuff. Um, the, the word for righteousness in Greek is diokesune and, um, and it, and it, it means conformity to the will of God. There's a Hebrew word that sits behind diokesune, um, which is sedaka, um, or zedaka. I don't know how you pronounce it. I don't know where you put the accent. I'll just say sedaka, sedaka. Um, and it is, it is an old Testament word that has to do, it has two meanings and it's translated righteousness, but it has to do first with salvation and deliverance. And the second meaning is almsgiving piety. Um, and for the Pharisees, and we'll get into this, the, for the Pharisees, their project was the project of righteousness and central to their project were three practices, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. And of the three, almsgiving, giving money to the poor was the most important. In fact, some writings seem to say that around the time of Jesus, righteousness for the Pharisees just meant giving money to the poor. That's how synonymous it was. All right. So what Jesus, what Jesus is doing, (laughs) he's made the positive case. He's come to fulfill it and the Torah is not going to go away. But then he says the righteousness of his interpretation of the Torah will surpass the great, the, the, the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes. In other words, the Pharisees and the scribes are not practicing the great, mighty righteousness of the Old Testament prophets and the great, mighty righteousness promised in Isaiah, right? They're not, they've missed it. What they call righteous isn't the great and mighty Zedaka of what the Old Testament spoke of. Yours, the kingdom of God, the the righteousness that Jesus will call us to will be greater than this. Now, I always used to think that that meant, well, the Pharisees obeyed 613 commands and they built fences around all of these commands. So it was like a couple thousand or so different regulations and rules. And what Jesus is saying is, well, you have to do better than that. That's not what he's saying. Jesus is saying the whole Pharisaic project is wrong their whole approach. And he's going to give six examples and he's going to give one critique, six examples, another critique and three examples. All right. So what he's going to do, and I know this is complicated. What he's going to do is he's going to give six examples of a heavy command that he is going to equate with a light command. Okay. 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 Gotcha. Yes. Right. So his first thing's going to be, You've heard it said, do not murder. Heavy command. Yes. Right? The lighter command uh, was, and and again, these were legit commands. I mean, but relatively, do not murder was heavier than do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Okay, that was the lighter command. And what's Jesus going to say? The light command and the heavy command are the same command. Right. Right. 
Yep. And he's going to agree with the Pharisaic teaching that the the breaking the light commands leads to breaking the heavy commands. Right. If we got rid of anger, there wouldn't be murder. Right. Right? So so Jesus is giving depending on how you count them, five or six, he's going to give five or six different examples of this way of interpreting Torah, where he's going to illustrate that the covenant righteousness of his movement is different than that of the scribes and Pharisees. So to reiterate, Sedaka. Uh, translates out deliverance or salvation. Yes. And they kind of distilled it all the way down to just this idea of almsgiving. Not all of them did, but some did. Yes. Okay. So, but hold on, but hold on. There's one piece yet. All right. There's one piece. Okay. It just, it gets, it gets, it gets interesting. So Jesus, the sermon on the Mount is an indictment of the predominant form of piety and righteousness of his day. All right? Yes. It's not just random, like I'm pulling stuff out of my wherever, because I'm just making random points because I'm a wisdom teacher. (laughs) This is a systematic dismantling of the most pious, the most righteous, the most earnest and zealous, zealous people. In fact, Jesus would have been, I mean, the reason he critiques the Pharisees so much is that they were the closest to what he would have been had he fit squarely into one of the categories. So, so what Jesus is going to do, just think about it. It's so brilliant. His new covenant, Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah promised a new covenant would come and it would be written on, do you remember the hearts? (laughs) Right? And so Jesus is now going to give a righteousness of the heart. And so he's going to show how traditionally understood heavy commands and traditionally understood light commands are the same command. And that just because you're not murdering, doesn't, it doesn't mean you're righteous. And just, right. just, just because you're not committing adultery doesn't mean you're righteous. Right? And just because um, you don't... Um, you know, physically harm your enemy. Uh, it doesn't mean you can hate them in your heart. Yeah. So do you see what he's doing? It's absolutely freaking brilliant. And then, <laughs> oh, and then in chapter six, he says, uh, verse one. So he gives one critique and then five or six examples. And then he says, chapter six, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. And then he gives three examples, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Coincidence? I think not. And there he introduces the idea of hypocrisy. The thing that he hates most in the teaching of the, of the scribes and Pharisees. Right? Yep. No, that's good too. I remember that always the... There's those certain visuals we talked about one last week that have always stuck with me. The or maybe we talked off air. I can't remember about the Jesus wept translating as like the snorting. Yes, and it was like that visual, like a horse snorting. Yep. And that visual has always stayed in my head. And so as the hypocrites. Yeah. As like actor, they're actors on the corner that were performing a play. 
yeah or whatever and they're acting it out and like just this idea of performance that has no yep like reality well in it. greek theater so jesus was raised close to sepphoris sepphoris was sepphoris was destroyed before he was born and i think it was two or three thousand jews were crucified so he grew up in the shadow of sepphoris one of the herods was rebuilding it and we think because joseph was a tecton and jesus was a tecton uh, they may have worked there. And at least that gave Jesus familiarity with this Greek word that until, as far as I know, and I've, I've seen this in a couple of scholarly places, that until Jesus used it, it was never a pejorative. It was just a descriptor. So a hypocrite was one who wore a mask. In Greek theater, you didn't show your natural face, you wore masks. So if you were happy, you yeah. had a happy mask of you. And whatever your real face was doing, it was different from the mask that you showed the world. So again, it's the critique of <laughs> the righteousness that Jesus is after is of the heart. Yeah. And, um, and so he's, Jesus is giving a manifesto for a, the kind of, of, you know, Zedaka that, um, that the prophets talked about. Why are you laughing? Because I pronounce it different every time. Yeah, yeah. I wish I knew Zedekah. The first time you said it, it sounded like, I don't know if you ever had a Sega Genesis growing up. Yes. Where you turn it on and go, Sega. Well, it could be that too. I meant to. I, I meant. <laughs> it's just freaking awesome. Now, so that, that, so you can see what Jesus is doing, right? Do not think I've yes. come to abolish. I've actually come to, to interpret it definitively, both in how I practice it and in how I teach it. Right. And yeah. just to be clear, nothing from the Torah is disappearing until the what, what the Torah was given for was accomplished. Yeah. Which he says in a way that speaks directly to English teachers and English students. Yes. Not until the stroke of a pen. And yes. Beautifully poetic, vivid image. And, and then he says, and, and just so we're clear, the whole light and heavy thing um, a sure way to be light in my kingdom is by ignoring these commands and teaching others to do the same. And a way to be heavy in my kingdom is to practice the commands and teach others to do the same. Because, and then he, this is the because, your righteousness must be greater than the, that of the scribes and Pharisees. Okay, so he's indicting the scribe and Pharisee project while at the same time, relaying, right, painting this picture of what the rightness that characterizes God's Torah consists of. So sometimes yep. he'll quote the Old Testament directly, and then he'll, then he'll quote a, a light command. Or sometimes he'll say, you've heard it was said. Instead of, uh, you've heard, it, you've seen it written, and right. as a, referring to oral tradition, and then he'll correct that. So it's fascinating stuff, but the, the real, the real knife, like in the guts is when he is, when he then, and the reason we know he's talking about the scribes and Pharisees is he then talks about the righteousness, right? Of what it is to pray, what it is to fast and what it is to give money to the poor. Yeah. And he contrasts his rightness with the Pharisees rightness. And it's just epic. Now question then becomes, okay, so how, if we were just taking this text uh, apart from the sermon, um, how, what what implications does it have for the political entity known as the kingdom of God? 
And I spent a lot of time um, thinking through this one because um, it, to me, it, it, it speaks to the tendency to pull bits of the Bible into partisan debates without any respect for the whole. What Jesus is, is teaching is that you can't divorce act and attitude. You can't divorce um, means and ends. Um, I mean, I mean, think, think about it. If, if anger is such a big deal and I'm, I, and I, and so I, so I see murder, I see abortion as murder and yet hate has filled my heart so that I would be willing to bomb abortion clinics or harass doctors or bombard uh, women with gruesome images who are coming in. Do you see what Jesus is, is just going to say to that? Yeah. <laughs> right? You don't get to just focus on one little bit of the thing. Right? And so, yeah. like, in Scandalous Witness, oh, this was such a great example. All right, on page eight, Lee Majors. 83, Lee Camp is his name. Lee Camp. Lee Camp. He quotes um, from something called the Slave Bible. All right. Then I'm just I'm just uh, consider, he says, the slave Bible as one egregious and apparently malicious instance of select Bible quoting. It is formally entitled parts of the Holy Bible selected for the use of the Negro slaves in the British West India Islands. All right. And then camp goes on to talk about what's excluded and what's included. All right, so this was a book for slaves. So they, it was written by slave owners for slaves. Correct. Edited. Yes. Edited yeah. by white owners. Right. Right? To give to their slaves. So they keep insane. they keep the the part of the fall narrative in Genesis 3 where it talks about the ground is cursed and we must work of it all the days of our life. Right. They skip the call of Abram and the promise of redemption. They include Joseph being sold into slavery. Hmm. They exclude anything that Joseph did to, to help <laughs> deliver God's people during this famine. And they skip, well, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, they include, um, uh, Potiphar's wife and that whole temptation of, uh, and Jesus running away. Cause it's a good example of how a slave should live. Mm. Right. But it excludes any negative talk of Pharaoh, f the infanticide that Pharaoh ordered, the disobedience of the midwives, all of that is skipped, right? The big portions of Deuteronomy that talk about canceling debts and, and, and freeing prisoners and liberating slaves. Um, there's no indictment uh, in the, in the uh, prophets about the wealthy. Um, even in the new Testament, they, they keep the, you know, the Ephesians six part where slaves obey your masters. Um, but they skip the part that says, um, uh, that there is no more hostility between, you know, um, 
masters and slaves and Jews and Gentiles because that dividing wall of hostility has been torn down. They, they keep the fruit of the spirit passage that talks about love and joy and peace, but they skip the bit in Galatians where it talks about there is no more slave or master, male, female, um, uh, Jew, Gentile. Like we're all one in Christ. They skip that bit, right? They, they include Romans 13, obey your masters, obey the earthly governments, but they skip Romans 1 through 11. <laughs> right? Oh. And, and I'm reading that and I'm going, that's what Jesus is talking about. So you can say, and, 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 and I'm sorry, but we're all guilty of this. You can say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, as a conservative, oh man, absolutely. Look at sexual sin and abortion. And I'm going to ignore all of the texts on wealth. I'm going to ignore the texts on peacemaking and nonviolence. I'm going to ignore the texts on immigrants and love of stranger. You can be from the progressive side, just all in on the, the marginalized and um, and the poor, and then conveniently ignore all of the sexual ethics that Jesus teaches, right? I mean, it's just what we do. And so the community of God as a politic is to be the one place where all of it's held together, where we're not just picking and choosing partisan Bible points. So Jeff Sessions is saying, yeah, well, you know, we're going to keep children in cages because of Romans 13. Right. You're just like, no, no, no. That is that you are light in the kingdom, right? That is abolishing the word of God is what that is. I mean, I mean, think about the, think about if the abortion, the anti-abortion camp um, surrendered anger. They still, they still worked to reduce the number of abortions, but, but they didn't do so from anger. Would that change yeah. anything? I think so. Seems that way. We had women in our church growing up and it was a very conservative church, but they, um, they, they set up a clinic in town that just like came alongside young women who were pregnant and then tried to just like mentor and walk with them through the pregnancy time and then set up adoptions for them. So the whole thing was not based out of like the crazy signs and the, yeah. all and that shame. stuff. It was just about loving, yeah, about loving the women and trying to give them an, a different, yeah, a different way. See, when you have the 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 poor in spirit and the mourn the mourners and the peacemakers and the merciful all together, they're not going to try to to uh, run the world. First thing they're going to do <laughs> is Shane Claiborne. It's, yes, because <laughs> you got a little neighborhood and. Yes, out, out the... and they're just going to build the kingdom in whatever plot of life and land they occupy. Yeah, and and so when I'm thinking about the political implications of Jesus's teaching here, I mean, do we not hijack the Bible for every political end possible? Yeah. And so the kingdom, if we're going to witness to the reality of the risen Jesus, and if we're going to wit bear witness. We have to bear witness to the whole thing, even the parts we don't like, even the parts we're uncomfortable about. Now, that doesn't mean that um, we just uncritically read, have a flat reading of the Bible and say, well, it just says that God said, kill everybody. So that it must mean that. <laughs> um, no, we're not saying that. We're not trying yeah. to ignore the different parts, nor are we just offering a flat reading.
reading of the of the whole thing. But like we've talked about many times, right? I mean, think about what it means to interpret the Constitution. How much schooling do you freaking need to to sit on the Supreme Court and interpret the Constitution? Right. They don't just hand it to somebody and they say, here's what it means to me. And that documents what only how how old? 400 years old. Yeah. And here we've got a, 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 a library, a literary library of stuff that's four, five, six thousand years old. And the most recent stuff is two thousand years old. Yeah. And, and we just all kind of go, yeah, I can just pick it up and I get it. Well, it's organic, too, and it's dealing with, I mean, just looking at this section alone, dealing with the inner parts of who a person is and how they navigate and how exactly. they think and live. That's right. I mean, the Constitution's, like, fairly black and white on top of, you know, it's, it's not necessarily dealing with the the depth and the, you know, I don't know. I'm rambling now, but... No, 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 totally, totally. I'm adding on the way you're saying, like, I totally agree that this is so much more complex and complicated, but at the same time, like... But but I just want to draw the analogy between under understanding the Constitution, which is far more recent... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And require... I mean, and yet still requires a massive amounts of understanding. And, and still and, read through lenses of... Of course, uh, of, course. Is, or... uh, of course, of uh, course, and every text is. That's part of what what it means to be a text, and God yeah. intended that. So I, I have no problem with that. God, God, I'm with Pete Enns in terms of God gave us something very ambiguous in some really helpful ways to drive us to wisdom and to dependence. Absolutely, totally agree with that. On the other hand, though, when we're just hijacking verses. Um, to use in partisan debates, um, what we're violating, I mean, we're, we're violating everything. I mean, just think about what we deal with here. If you deal with anger, contempt, and lust, um, or at least begin to take those things seriously, I, it seems like a whole heck of a lot would be different. Yeah. You know, now we may still hold all the political positions we hold. Mm-hmm. Right? Maybe maybe we're so won over by just their compelling intellectual merit. But the kind of people we would be in the holding of these would be so radically different. Yeah. And so the church is the place where the, the ends don't justify the means. The the if it's witnessing to the kingdom, right? The 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 the, the kingdom witnessing church is the place where it matters just as much about why something happens than just what happens. You know, where you don't just get to say, oh, that's a heavy command and this is a light one. Right? Yeah, yeah, anger's a big deal, but man, frick, abortion, dude, that's the, that's the, that's the big one. I mean, you just show me. Um, and I know that's going to poke at people, but I'm just saying, is it possible to oppose abortion and not hate the people who do them? and choose them. Um, well, Jesus says, absolutely it is. And in fact, if you're to display the kind of rightness that manifests God, because what's God do? Jesus is going to tell us what God does. is He just, he gives gifts regardless of your behavior, right? It's not like you walk around in a farm, like in a farming community and the, the, the godly person's farm is, you know, just lush and green and the ungodly person's farm right next door to them is, you know, it's barren. (laughs) No, he, Jesus is like, look at the weather, man. It 
reigns on the just and the unjust alike. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? So, so we're not, we, we're, we're the people that forsake. Oh, and that doesn't mean we're perfect. God, Lord knows we're not perfect. Uh, but it means that, that that's the bullseye, that that's, that's what we're working towards. And, um, and so much of our politics, at least the way we engage the text in our politics, violates exactly what Jesus is addressing here. Yeah. There is no light and heavy, right? And yes, there are times, there are times commands conflict. Pharaoh says, kill your babies. The midwives lie. Yep, ex- right. exactly. And and that could be the response from the ab- abortion activists who have hate in their heart. Well, there is examples of civil disobedience. And I think we'd have a great conversation about that. But it just strikes me that that's never a part of the conversation. Yeah. You know what I mean? That if G- what Jesus is saying... <laughs> You know, is is saying, man, lust and murder don't have the same consequences, but it's the same origin. Yeah. yeah. Or I mean, anger, murder, excuse me. Maybe lust and murder do too. I don't know. I mean, David. David, facts. <laughs> yep. All wrapped up together for sweet David. <laughs> so how does this strike you? I think this all makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, I'm enjoying. I'm enjoying all this in progression, and I'm trying to. I'm trying to. I'm trying to see the 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 meek and uh, the poor in spirit gathered around him, and perhaps the Pharisees who are standing on the outer edges or something to that extent, and taking all of this information in through those multiple lenses mm-hmm. and the multifaceted nature of it, and how important what it was that he was saying directly to the people that were standing right there, but how he was aware of who was around him and yeah, just setting these people up for like, uh, you know, like, Hey, you heard this, but guess what? If your heart's here, then you're already starting from the wrong spot. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's like, uh, kingdom of God one one. Yeah. It doesn't matter how right your politics are. They're wrong. If they're coming from hatred, animosity, contempt, I mean, it just end of story. Yeah. So I, and, and, and I know, I know I can hear people saying, well, this is, you're just doing the both sides thing and da, 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 da. And, and, you know, their anger is justified and certainly we'll get into anger. Our next episode, right? There is a place for anger. Jesus was angry. There is a wonderful place for anger, but anger is a gift. Anger is a gift, <laughs> but, um, but we'll notice what Jesus did with his anger versus what I do with mine. And then you yeah. realize, oh, it's, yeah, slightly, slightly different. So anyway, so the political implications of the sermon for me continually call into question the, my entire way of understanding uh, all of this. And, and, and it's funny, as we've been in this, I've been just not... I, I, there's been this sort of freedom that's kind of enshrouded my thinking where, um, cause I, I can get really wrapped up and really angry and really, you know, um, so upset at what I see as the polluting of the witness of Christ. And I think there's a place for that, you know, to be called out, but I can't, I haven't been able to do that without anger, <laughs> you well. know? 
And, you tell me if you figure it out. Well, no, it's just it's just the meek and the merciful and the peacemakers, they just sit around and and what you find they're doing is is they're just not spending a lot of time criticizing how bad everybody else is. They're building the freaking kingdom. Yes, yeah. they're busy. And no, I like that. Yeah. yeah. And the peacemaking I feel like is a really great like um like ver like the idea of going into these things and not just like burning it down or like going in anger and like in violence yeah for lack of a better term and trying to tear down like the the these entities that are polluting the the image of god and whatever but being these peacemakers are going in and making like making it the way it should re be like you know mm -hmm. what i mean like the peacemaking almost works in that idea as well of like going in and like you said, those guys are not, they're not busy tearing everything down. They're busy at work building the right. actual kingdom. Yeah. And I like that because that does feel like what he's doing here. He's just like, yeah, we're kind of getting down to it. And guess where it starts? Guess, guess where all of this starts? I'm looking at the man in the mirror and, and those in immediate proximity, right? Yep. Seth yep. Erie is a walking beatitude. Yeah. My wife my children, right? If, if they're not experiencing um, goodness and kindness and reconciliation and the, the fighting of contempt uh, and anger, I mean, it, it doesn't matter how perfect your politics are. End of story. Yeah. Yeah. So, because what the world needs now is love, sweet love. <laughs> Put a whole soundtrack together for this and episode. I believe that children are future. <laughs> oh, Teach them go. well. <laughs> Let them lead the way. And then hopefully wig me up before you go-go. Because I'm not planning on going solo. Anyway, uh, Tim, hey, is, wasn't, there one, wasn't there one last question? Oh, yes. There we'll was. End, we'll end with this. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Okay. Hi, Mike and Tim. Hello. Hi. Hi. I love the Vox podcast and am a longtime listener. I have a question about the current Sermon on the Mount series. I'm curious why you think Jesus' teachings about being the salt and light of the world are meant only for his disciples or followers. Ooh. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it says, Now when Jesus had finished, spoiler alert, <laughs> now when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astounded at his teaching. It seems to me that he is speaking these teachings to the entire crowd, which gives it a somewhat different meaning. For example, regarding the light of the world, he may be saying that we all have the light of God within us. I'm sure I'm missing something here and would love or I would welcome your thoughts. Thanks. Oh, what a great question. I'm assuming he would love your thoughts, I th but he says he would welcome them. <laughs> so, so Jesus several times in the sermon talks about he 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 makes it centered on him um so for instance in chapter five when jesus saw the crowds he went up on a mountainside set and sat down his disciples came to him and he began to teach them now the disciples aren't a formal group yet in matthew's story 
So there's a distinction between the crowds who are hearing and the disciples who are following, but it doesn't mean just the 12. This could have been a large group, yeah. but these were the students. So the crowds, there are many that were, that were interested and fascinated by Jesus's teaching, but that didn't mean that everyone followed him. And so he'll say things, you know, like he'll, he'll get to, um, you know, not everyone that calls me Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father. Um, he'll end with, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, referring to the whole sermon and puts them into practice. So he's talking about those that would follow him. So I, I think that, yes, of course, uh, we are all made in the image of God and there is a spark of God in us and, um, but, but I think, I think Jesus, if you read it really closely, Jesus, I mean, he even does this with, um, you know, uh, if, if blessed are, are you, um, when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Hmm. So what, what he's doing is he's building this whole movement around him and his teaching and the only ones to whom it applies um, specifically are the disciples. Now the crowds are hearing it and the crowds love it. But even in the Beatitudes, he's saying, listen, ultimately this is about those who follow me. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, and so I think at the beginning when, when Matthew deline delineates between the crowds and the disciples, cause he says specifically, and he talked to them. He began to teach them. Now, of course, the crowds were overhearing this, and I'm sure that many of the crowds became disciples. That's what I was going to ask. Is there like some function or fashion of an invitation within that to not an, not an overt, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, speaking yeah. out to this whole group that there may be people that are like, whoa, I'm tracking with this. Yeah. I'm interested in this. Yeah. I mean, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Yeah. Um, and whoever hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. So think about who he's talking to. Yeah. Right. So th that's the dividing line. If yeah. you, again, if you hear them and you put them into practice, you've fulfilled Torah. If you yeah. hear them and do not put them into practice, you've abolished Torah. So I have no doubt. And then it says, chapter eight, Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. Hmm. Right. So there, there's just in Matthew's terminology, there's just the beginning of a, of a, of a split between the disciples, the, his official students. And now, now Matthew doesn't mean the, the 12 here, cause we don't meet the 12 until like Matthew 10. Right. So this is just a group of those who've already committed to being his apprentices. And we meet them in chapter four. Come follow me. I will make I will send you out to fish for people. Right. We, we meet two right. sets of brothers. Um, but lots of people were coming to be healed and to have demons cast out. And they didn't necessarily, it didn't necessarily mean that they were going to be students. And that's why Jesus will say, many will call right. me Lord. Yeah. Right. But only the one who does the will of my father. I mean, that's why he keeps saying this yeah. is that you're now responsible for what you're hearing. You know what I mean? And that mm -hmm. doesn't mitigate at all. The fact that these are the broken, the downtrodden, the hurting, like this was not the message the Pharisees gave. 
Yeah, this was good news, man. This was good news. But much of what Jesus is then teaching is about um, following him. And it's so there's a bit... lot of the Pharisaic idea. I'm asking a question. Uh, with, with the big focus on almsgiving and then Jesus specifically speaking to um, poor in spirit or, or the meeker folks in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, was there like a big discrepancy within the Pharisees as to them even being like welcome in this conversation? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. sure how to ask this exactly, but because there's, there's such a distinction being made here and the fact that he does kind of pick at the almsgiving and the fact that that was like a, mm-hmm. their mm-hmm. main facet of function was like, we right. give to these people um, I lost my question there. Sorry. No, but but, but you're absolutely right. At different points, and it's different in every gospel. There come there comes a point in every gospel where the Pharisees decide to kill Jesus. Okay, and they right. partner with the Herodians, and then sometimes it'll be the Sadducees mentioned. But there's a point where the Pharisees in Mark, it's chapter three. Jesus heals a man with a withered hand. The Pharisees went out to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, in John, it's the high priests and the Sanhedrin who hear about Lazarus being raised from the dead. They begin to plot about how they might kill Jesus. So yes, the animosity. This was this was indicting to the point of alienation. For yeah. many now, and, and that that's why the Pharisee Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. Um, this was not, you know, Jesus or Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin, which was this Jew, the ruling Jewish council it was a big yeah. freaking deal. And we find out in Acts and we get hints of it in the Gospels that there were many Pharisees that come to Christ, you know, as disciples, particularly after the resurrection. But yes, it, he, this, and Matthew has a theme here and, and the theme is oversimplified, but it's, um, grace to the humble and truth to the proud. Um, and so what Jesus, if you want to, if you really want study the Beatitudes with the woes that Jesus gives the Pharisees and teachers of the law in Matthew 23, he has seven woes. And they're just fascinating because, yeah. and again, I don't, I don't think they map perfectly, but they're close where Jesus is indicting the Pharisees for the opposite of what he commends in the Beatitudes. Yeah. I mean, it all makes perfect sense. It's nice to, it's nice to take these like bird's eye views of yeah. entire gospels to be able to be like, okay, yeah. Okay. I see this here. I see this here. But, but we the were punch. talking about judgment and hell a while back and. Um, the judgment on teachers or people that are taking that kind of bigger role in the yep. kingdom or whatever, being a heavier judgment. Yep. And you see the way that he speaks to the Pharisees and this idea of truth versus grace or, or just right. Not and, versus, and it's not. Like, yeah. He just, he, with the desperate, he displays compassion and mercy with yeah. the self-righteous. He is stern. Now he's stern in the manner of Old Testament prophets. So this isn't, yeah. he's not being mean. Yeah. Um, he's being prophetic, which is something different. Um, so but I tell my kids next time I'm mad at them. <laughs> I'm being prophetic. <laughs> Dad's not being mean, just being prophetic. Well, and, and something that 
that we're going to see as we go through, spoiler alert, is that uh, the, the Pharisee approach to righteousness is very similar than, to the evangelical approach to righteousness. Mm. And therefore, our tribe is massively indicted as we go through this. Yeah. Um, you know, regardless of whatever your politics are, um, if you commit to following a person who wants you to get rid of contempt, um, well, <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a lifelong project you, we got there. Um, and, and it's just bad for your health anyways. It, oh, it's horrible what it does to us. But just, just imagine if all the Jesus followers said, you know what, um, we, we're going to work on getting rid of anger and contempt in our own households and marriages. That's what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think that changes. I think that changes the world. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think Jesus is onto something. Yeah. And again, this is a righteousness of the heart. This isn't trying harder. This isn't yeah. doing more. This is a new covenant that, um, that was given so that grace would lead us to repentance. This yeah. is not working our way through the hurdles, right? That's so important. That's why you have to understand what Jesus is doing as he's giving these instructions. He's illustrating righteousness. He's not giving laws. Yeah. So that's a, a big thing. Now, the law, the, the illustrations turn out to be massively indicting, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. But that's hence, hence the need for repentance. So anyway, yeah. bam. All right, Timothy, John, that was a full hour. That was the full I don't hour. Know, I don't know if it goes fast for anybody else, but it sure goes fast for us. <laughs> well, some people probably listen to it at a 1.5 times or a two times, so maybe yeah. going fast for them. Yeah. I wonder, though, if we should just talk fast and just see what happens to those people. I'll just trip. <laughs> nice all right um friends would you be so kind if the podcast is helpful to share it to like it to rate it to review it to support it on patreon to drop us a note if you have questions or encouragement or things that you'd love to see or hear or talk about um we're just so very grateful we really are. And I know we say this every single episode, but we're always amazed every time we set to record that we get to do this. Yeah. We were and just talking about before this. We were. Tim- Timothy John was. Frankensteinbeck was making that <laughs> was making that case. And so it's just pretty cool. And um, so we hope it's helpful. We want it to be helpful. Um, so your feedback really helps us. We love you guys in a very generic sense of the word. And, but some of you, some, some, well, right. Love. I feel lovingly towards our audience. How about that? How about that? Anyway, until next time, friends. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this conversation. The Vox Podcast is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash voxpodcast. You can also engage with the hosts on social media at facebook.com backslash voxpodcast, on Instagram 
at Fox Podcast, and on Twitter at Mike Erie. Thank you for walking this road with us.